irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Hello there, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. If you have not listened in before, I am a licensed clinical social worker. I practice as an intuitive psychotherapist. Additionally, I am certified in EMDR and as a Reiki Level 2 healing practitioner. I have physical offices in both New Orleans and Los Angeles, and I'd love for you to reach out to me if you would like to work together. I am happy to do a complimentary call by phone. I also conduct sessions worldwide through phone, Skype, and FaceTime. And you can go to my website to learn more at nolatherapy.com. It is the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy, and I invite you to join my email list so that when my book launches in the fall of 2020 with Inner Traditions Publisher, I'm able to get you information about it. I have spent the last three and a half years writing about our core wounds and healing those wounds through empathy and self-forgiveness. So it's a deep dive into core wounding, it's healing, utilizing various modalities and methods that have really helped me in my life. So go to nolatherapy.com, give your email. There are links to my social media there on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find me at NOLA Therapy, and I'd love to connect with you. I have enjoyed the emails I've received. Thank you for them. Thank you for subscribing and sharing and rating this podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, I ask that you please keep doing that, and uh, I'll keep doing the show. This is episode 170, and today I have a guest that I'm personally very excited to interview because of his work. We will be in just a few moments with Dr. Robert T., like Tom Muller. He is a trauma therapist, a psychologist. He is a So he's trained at Harvard University, I'll back up a bit, currently is a professor of clinical psychology at York University in Toronto and in private practice. He is a fellow for the International Society for the Study of Trauma and and Dissociation, pardon me for hiccuping today over my words, he's an international speaker a best-selling author of the book Trauma and the Avoidant Client. He's the editor of the Trauma and Mental Health Report, and you can find his blog on Psychology Today. It's called Talking About Trauma. And today, specifically, we are delving into Dr. Robert T. Muller's most recent book, Trauma and the Struggle to Open Up, From Avoidance to Recovery and Growth. And in this book, Dr. Muller talks about the use of attachment theory and trauma therapy as it relates to the therapeutic relationship between client and therapist with the end goal of promoting trust, recovery, and growth. So with that, I'm going to welcome you to the show. Welcome, Rob. Thank you for being with us. Great. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. 
You're welcome. I emailed you earlier about how how much I have enjoyed your book, being a trauma therapist myself, and all that I am expecting to learn during our time together, since this has been your passion for 20 years. Where do you want to start us with today on this journey? Ooh. <laughs> If you press play, I can just talk for hours and hours. So, <laughs> you know, one of the things I had asked, if you could just kind of initially share with us about the different attachment styles. So we're all working sure. from the same baseline of knowledge. Sure, sure. That's a really good place to start. Um, attachment is a really important concept in trauma um, because uh, trauma really affects people's attachments. It's uh it has an impact on how people um, engage in their relational world. And that's really what attachment is. It's, it's the way in which, the regularly occurring way in which um, a particular individual um, engages in their interpersonal world, especially when there's intimacy, when there's vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so people have different um, uh, styles or, or attachment orientations depending on a mix of things such as their family uh, and how their family dealt with emotions, um, uh, whether or not they have a trauma history, etc. And those things have a big impact on how somebody um, engages in their relational world, whether they felt safe in their home, home environment. So there are four um, fundamental styles of attachment. And um, the, uh, the, I'll just mention that... Um, these are different categories and the secure attachment style is the first of the categories and the category of secure attachment style refers to an individual feeling um, that they are secure in their interpersonal relationships they feel that they can make choices um, where they don't worry tremendously about um, uh, you know they don't they don't feel a sense of insecurity. They feel um, more confident in their relationships. They're able to be vulnerable with with others. Um, the avoidant attachment style reflects the person who's really uncomfortable with emotions, tends to uh, turn their attention away from vulnerability, uh, and 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 they have a lot of difficulty with being able to be vulnerable in relationships. The preoccupied attachment style, the third category, is reflects somebody who's quite insecure, feels um, often a sense that they're um, uh, they, they're, they're preoccupied by past hurts. They're often mm. very an- anxious. Um, so that's sort of anxious attachment. They feel anxious uh, in relationships. They're often, um, indecisive about, about what they want. So it's very, uh, very difficult for them to engage in their relational world. And then the fourth category, the disorganized, um, or unresolved, uh, attachment category that, that reflects individuals who, um, have really a lot of difficulty in, um, in even having a strategy to deal with relationships. They, they tend to, um, go go back and forth with different strategies in, in relationships, and they often have um, they often feel very fearful in relationships. They're they're often scared that they're going to be abandoned. Mm. So those are the four four main categories. Sometimes they talk about three categories. Depends on the research study, the three or four categories that that people talk about. But those are the main attachment categories. Okay, thank you for that. No problem. So in talking about trauma affecting attachment, it, which impacts 
our ability to connect. Can you tell us about in your book what you give a lot of case studies, a lot of examples that I enjoyed reading because I think it brings the work to life. And so kind of where would you like to start there with us? Um, well, uh, you know, one, one thing that I think is really important that I talk about in the book and, and it's very fundamental to trauma therapy is the idea of safety. And, uh, what I talk about in the book is the idea that until you have a sense of safety, um, in the therapeutic relationship. So if you're a therapist and you're working with people who have trauma histories, if they don't feel safe in the relationship with the therapist, then they're not going to really be able to do psychotherapy. And you might think, well, of course, who wants, you know, who wants to feel afraid of their therapist? I'm not talking about safety in that kind of mm-hmm. you know, ob- obvious sense. What I mean is that people get triggered really easily with the therapist because with the therapist, what happens is they start talking about something vulnerable, let's say, you know, maybe something from the past, something in their family, etc. And then they start feeling um, anxious that the therapist is maybe judging them, or they feel that they don't deserve to waste the therapist's precious time, or they feel that the therapist is responding to them just like everybody else has. And people often project onto the therapist certain feelings and anxieties and then they feel unsafe. They, they no longer feel that connection or trust with the therapist. And this can be very subtle. And so in the book, I talk about how there are many subtle ways that people will um, project these feelings onto the therapist and then all of a sudden not feel safe in the relationship. And you might wonder, I don't understand with this client, we were doing so well, we were working, we were, we were making progress, and all of a sudden, the last two or three weeks, He's been so defensive. I haven't seen that kind of defensiveness in months. I don't understand. So you might wonder to yourself, is there something that happened between the two of you that led the person to feel maybe judged or maybe something? You know, Not that you did anything wrong necessarily, but sometimes these things are subtle when people have trauma histories. And so being attentive to those subtle things that happen in the relationship that lead to the person to feel unsafe um, that's very important, and 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 that's a, a, an important part of the process that I talk about in the book. And and it is an important, a very important stage that I found in my work. We kind of go back to as needed with establishing safety, establishing trust that it might be established, and as the story is being retold, as it's being remembered and shared, and the feelings, the transference happens that that you might need to kind of take a few steps back to reestablish trust, offer some reassurance, explore, you know, what's coming up for you around this. And I think that's such an important kind of process in trauma therapy, that containing of the emotions that our clients are having and demonstrating. And then our counter-transference reactions to them when, when our stuff gets triggered, our traumas and, and how we deal with that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'm really glad you raised the question of our traumas because um, therapists uh, um, who, who, uh, who have been, through, like if, you, if you're doing trauma therapy, it's so helpful to be either in therapy yourself or to have been through therapy um, and or, um, preferably and, 
to have some kind of supervision group that you go to. So having a, a group of, so I, I meet um, every month with um, a group of uh, trauma therapists uh, at, at, a, at a hospital here in Toronto, um, Mount Sinai Hospital, and we, we, we go through our cases and we talk about difficulties and we talk about our feelings. And more than anything, we talk about the counter-transference, what gets raised in us when we're working with someone when it's really when we're really blocked and not making progress very often something has gotten stirred in us and we're not always conscious of it and so getting some help from a, an external you know someone from the outside to say okay hey you know i know this about you how how does this fit you know that, or whatever someone who you trust of course because yes you know a little bit like being in therapy right so you you have to you have to have a trusting relationship with these people. You have to for sure have that. And if you have that, it can be so helpful to to go through that together because um, that countertransference can really get in the way with trauma therapy. And I see your book, Rob, dealing with the therapeutic relationship, and it caused me to think about intimacy and romantic relationships and how our, our traumas can be reenacted, can be triggered and stimulated in the intimate relationship setting. And it's navigating that in similar ways with establishing safety, with reassurance and, and such, and how, you know, uh, the avoidance of intimacy plays out sometime when one is dating, you know, looking for a partner, and then even when they are partnered and, and navigating that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Like with, um, in my first book, Trauma and the Avoidant Client, I focused a lot specifically on that issue of avoidant attachment. And um, it's, that can also be really tricky. So for sure, it, it gets played out in intimate relationships. That's where we really see avoidant attachment um, in, in all its kind of uh, most powerful forms when, when people have then, you know, when they try to partner up and they struggle because they feel, for example, you know, why is my, why is my girlfriend or why does my boyfriend always have to raise these issues and talk about everything? I can't stand all this talking about stuff. You know, why yes. can't we just, you know, and, and that's, you know, and, and that's where it really comes out. And, and where you sometimes get these mismatches where you have one person who's a, a real talker, really focused on feelings and another person who, you know, wouldn't know a feeling if it, you know, hit, hit them in the head. And, and, and so then they, and then they're in a relationship and they struggle, right? I mean, they really can get into a lot of conflict. Um, I also noticed that, um, that when I, when I thought with avoidant attachment in particular, um, therapists who, um, I often find that therapists um, are either securely attached or anxiously attached. I mean, that's mm. just something that I find in my, in my supervision experience. It's very rare, but I do sometimes see therapists who are avoidantly attached. Mm -hmm. um, the trick with that, if, if you're someone who struggles with feelings um, and you're a therapist, it's not to say that you can't do therapy. You can, but it just means doing work in your own therapy to become more comfortable with um, the expression of feelings. Because if you're doing trauma work, that can be a challenge. So, you, you know, you might be inclined to want to kind of wrap things up. And if you do that with someone who's really um, 
uh, always been invalidated in their life. They've, they've always, you know, whatever trauma they had, people didn't want to listen to them. That person might once again feel as if you're telling them, shut up, even if that's not yes. your intention at all, like even if that's not what you're intending to do, but they may feel it that way. So you want to pay attention in your own therapy or in your own supervision, if, if, you, if you have a good supervisor, um, to the idea of getting comfortable with feelings and being able to, to, to get more comfortable with feelings so that you can be validating with your, with your trauma clients. And I definitely echo what, what you're saying, Rob, about anyone listening that's doing trauma therapy to, to really be involved in your own therapeutic process. I, I have, in my 20-year career, been involved in therapy to help when, when those issues are raised for me with clients and personal others in my life. That it, it's, there's so many layers I've, I've learned there's just so many layers to unraveling trauma. And, you know, we tend to, so say, for instance, going back to your book and establishing safety with our clients. And then the next phase, as Dr. Judith Herman talks about, and as you speak about and others, is, is the stage of remembrance and sharing the stories, you know, with com- being seen, being heard, really being able to give voice to those stories and and unraveling where you talk about the family secrets compounded with family loyalty. And anyone that grew up in in a house with trauma, that there's this this compelling drive not to say anything, like you just don't want to think about it. You just want to shut it down. And yet you want to also shout it out, you know, and, and like let the world know, but there's family loyalty. Can, can you talk to us some about this stage, kind of this mid phase of working once some safety is established and you're really in the heart of the of the material for sure for sure so um let me talk about the 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 faith and also also get back to family secrets so the issue of um of of opening up and uh, which is the subject of my book trauma and the struggle to open up why because it really is a struggle i mean it really feels scary to start to share when you've gotten used to the idea that safety is 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 done by shutting up by keeping secrets um and and i don't mean to say that in a critical way people Mm -hmm. learn to do what they need to do to survive and sometimes that really means shutting up and because it was dangerous to to open up and if you if you said this or that in the family you would be perhaps uh, mocked or you would be um, uh, trivialized, uh, your, your words would be trivialized or you would be seen as disloyal to the family. And so people learn to keep family secrets because it works, because mm-hmm. it, 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 it becomes it's, uh, safe for them to do that and it becomes a way of coping. Um, so it's a process reaching a point where you can start to open up. Now, of course, trust is really important. We talked about safety in the relationship. If you have some time where you're working with someone and you're able to build that trust and build a sense of safety in the relationship, then um, they they do, in fact, people want to tell their story. There's a mm-hmm. people, people, even if it's scary, um, holding on to a secret is a horrible burden. Um, it's so painful to sit with this alone this stuff this uh, yes this uh, uh, painful ugly sometimes story that um that you feel 
you feel guilty maybe about certain aspects of it or you feel stupid, you know, why didn't I fight back or why didn't I do this? Mm. Or, you know, people say all kinds of things to themselves and feel horrible about their own story. So opening up means that once you start doing that, you start to worry. Does the therapist think I'm an idiot? Does the therapist think, you know, is, is he or she judging me? Um, do I sound so stupid, somebody might say. I mean, I've had clients say this. You know, as I say this, you know, they might say, I sound so dumb. It's, mm. You know, and I stop and I say, help me understand how it's sounding to you. And we, we sort of examine, we explore that a little bit. So it becomes a real process, the, the whole opening up and, and, and how they feel about themselves when they start to. When they start to. But um, if, if you're able to help them weather that process, and, and I do have some good strategies in the book on how to do that, how to, how to help people weather that process, um, as they begin to share, what people do is they engage in what Judith Herman said was a mourning process. Mm. They begin to mourn losses. They begin to say, um, they begin to feel sad about things that choices they made, you know, and, and, and aspects of life. For example, dealing with questions like, why me? Like, you know, they start asking themselves things like, why me? Or sometimes they might ask themselves, why not me? Like, why wasn't it? Uh, why was it my sister who had to put up? And why was I spared? So they feel horrible guilt. Or yes. if it's PTSD in, in, a, in a, a combat situation, uh, then again, I mean, they might feel, why, why not me? Why, why was, you know, my friend or my buddy who, who I fought alongside, why did he have to be um, killed by uh, an improvised explosive device? And I wasn't, let's say. So, so people then struggle with those questions and they start to face losses. You know, the loss of the sense that the world is always going to be a fair place of course, we all know this, but deep down, we operate on a daily basis with a fantasy that, that the world is going to be safe. I, I, I imagine I'm going to walk out of my office today and I'll get home okay and everything will be all right. I, I operate with this fantasy, with this assumption, this illusion about life. And, and when you've had trauma, you, you have to, in some ways, grapple with the notion that, you know, you've lost some sense of safety in the world. Yes. You've lost a, a certain illusion about the world that people are fundamentally caring, Good. loving. Yeah, and, you know, people are. You you face these losses that those of us who have been fortunate enough not to have these traumatic experiences don't yet have to face. Um, and when you've had trauma, you have to face these things, and and so it's, it's tough. It's painful work, and so for the therapist, helping people sit alongside those losses slowly working with them, listening, um, not making assumptions, because you may think that this is what the person lost, you know, let's say loss of childhood, and maybe they lost that, but maybe they also lost something else that's more poignant for them, so, or relevant for them. So, yeah, I mean, sitting with those losses, that's, that's a big part of the sharing process that you have. It is. You know, Rob, there is a section of your book where you shared about a client you worked with, and I had a surprisingly large emotional reaction to it. And it's the the situation, the, the female client whose mom uh, would leave intermittently for, say, a few weeks at a time. And on this one occasion, and I'm paraphrasing it, she told 
your client and the brother, I believe, you know, I'm leaving. They're like, where are you going, mom? Oh, I'll be back soon. And her father got really angry. Why did you let her go? You know, don't you see what's happening? And the little, your client was so young and her mother never came back. She just left. And as I read that, I started to feel such a high level of distress inside of my body, like over identifying with your client and over identifying with her story. And I had to take a moment and and ask myself, like, what is coming up here? You know, this was not your experience. And when I thought about it a bit more deeply, I reflected upon it actually was my experience in in a different way that I've never viewed a, a trauma that happened to me when I was 19 and my mother kicked me out of the house unexpectedly and sold all of my belongings. And I've always viewed, I've been in lots of therapy to, to work through this. I have a relationship with my mom. Now I had always viewed it as she put me out. She cast me out like she didn't want me, but not until I read that portion of your book where I realized she actually left me just like that mother left her children and moved. Like I had never seen it from the aspect of my own mother left me and I had to start fending for myself. So I'm grateful as, as, as deeply upsetting as it was in the moment to, to read that section of your book, that it helped me see kind of a, a core wound I hadn't quite noticed yet that now I can heal and move forward, move beyond it and integrate, integrate that loss and, and use it. So do you find that as well? Like in your work with, yeah. So I just wanted to share that with you and our audience. Yeah, no, thank you, Lisa. I I think, I think what you're raising is, is so um, true and so um, uh, uh, common for people who do this, this kind of work that you uh, you find these themes in what your clients are telling you or what you're reading about that you connect with and you want to pay attention to those themes just like you did. Um, I mean, I really like the way you said I had to stop and ask myself what's going on for me, which is just a beautiful way of putting it. That is what Peter Fonagy would say, the, the British uh, psychologist Peter Fonagy would call mentalizing. When you stop and you ask yourself, what's going on for me right now? What am I experiencing? It's a, it's a question that focuses inward. Yes. It's, it's, not, it's not a blaming others kind of question. It's, not a, it's, not a, it, it's, it's a what's going on for me internally? What's going on? And what am I, what am I, is there something I'm getting triggered by? Is there something that's going on for me that's leading me to feel this way? I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling a particular way that's familiar, but maybe I hadn't expected it. So what's going on? So that's a mentalizing question. Mentalizing is a very important aspect of trauma work. It's looking inside. It's asking yourself what's going on for me as a therapist. And when you do that, you, you, you can help your clients, you know, you can help them mentalize what's going on for them. You know, that's, that's um, an important piece of the book as well, which is helping people deal with triggers, both the therapist yes. and, and clients, right? Yes. So, yeah. And, and for sure, for me, um, uh, there, I, I, I also do get triggered by, by, by uh, certain things. I mean, for me, I, I, um, uh, I think one of the most powerful triggers I had was this was a, a client, not actually not a client I, I saw, but a client that a colleague of mine saw. And we were talking about the case 
um, because I was helping, um, you know, as part of my co-supervision group. And I found that when my colleague talked about this case, it just, mm. I had trouble sleeping nights mm. when, when that, when that client. And so this was a case of, um, so my colleague's client who had lost a child um, uh, due to a drowning. And the, the story itself was just, uh, horrible, but I think what was what was so hard was the 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 of course the effect it had on the client and the effect it had on my colleague, and then just hearing the story. So that was vicar- an example of vicarious traumatization. But yes. boy, was I triggered by that case. I mean, I think that's probably my biggest fear. Is is you know I think one of my biggest fears in the world is 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 losing is losing a child in, in some way, losing one of my children. So I. Um, I've got three, yes. three, uh, three adult kids, and and so that I, that idea of losing them in some tragic sort of accident—it's just a, it's it's a really powerful fear of mine. And um, so so that boy was I triggered by that case, and and I really absolutely, think, you know what what was it that made me feel so vulnerable? What were my, you know, what were my anxieties about that? What were my worries? You know, um, so yeah, thank you, yeah, for so for sure. I mean, I I get, I also you know. It triggered by certain yourself cases. yeah yeah so sure. we are gonna we are gonna do a quick commercial break and i'll bring you right back on rob in just a few okay. moments yes okay. so to those of you listening my sponsor this month is better help they are a secure online therapy system where you can schedule and book sessions via phone, video, and text and email through their portal. You communicate through their platform, which is HIPAA compliant and secure, and you can address issues as varied as depression, stress, and anxiety to family contact conflicts, LGBT issues, self-esteem, and grief. And as my sponsor, they are offering you a 10% discount on your first month to try them out. That code is betterhelp.com forward slash ATT, which stands for All Things Therapy. They are affordable and they do offer financial aid available if you qualify. You can schedule as soon as within 24 hours. It's professional, affordable. I worked with them as a practitioner five years ago when I first went out to Los Angeles and and got licensed in California. So if face-to-face therapy doesn't feel like it's an option for you, it's better to get help rather than not. So BetterHelp, check them out, betterhelp.com forward slash ATT for a 10% discount on your first month. Indeed, listening is the new reading. With Audible, you can listen to an unlimited amount of books at home, in your car, at the gym, anywhere on the go. With over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from, for you, the listener of all things therapy, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download and a month-long subscription for you to try them out. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy now and enjoy. 
yourself and friends find a purpose in life, then you are in the right place and be a part of the crowdfunding campaign of patreon.com forward slash all things therapy with Lisa Ty here as she initiates a one-on interaction with inspiring authors, healing experts, and spiritual directors. Join the League of Heroes of this generation by contributing your quota between a dollar up to a hundred dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Let's make the world free of suicide, poverty, depression, and in all, make the world a better place for everyone. Welcome back. If you're just joining in, I am Lisa, your host, and today I'm with Dr. Robert T. Muller. He is professor of clinical psychology at York University in Toronto, as well as in private practice. And today we're discussing his book, Trauma and the Struggle to Open Up from Avoidance to Recovery and Growth. So, Rob, I feel like, you know, we've really set the stage around uh, trauma causing a rupture in attachment, causing a, a disruption in relationships and a sense of safety and trust and how important that is to establish in the therapeutic relationship in the beginning and ongoingly. I also really like in your book where you talk about moving beyond the trauma by integrating the realities of your past trauma and identity. And I wonder if you could speak to us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, I talk about identity in the book because it's a, it's a topic that I find a lot of trauma therapy books just don't talk about. Um, one important aspect of um, uh, the identity piece of trauma is that when you've gone through trauma therapy, it actually has an impact on how you see yourself and your place in the world. And so that's identity, you know, your, your sense of who you are and your sense of um, your, your, you know, the world and your place in it. And so we talk about post-traumatic growth when we think about the identity changes that happen through trauma, um, and through trauma therapy, sorry. Um, now, now, nobody wants to say, and I think it's true, that of course, if you've been through trauma, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you say to people, oh, don't worry, look on the bright side, you know, you're going to grow mm. from this experience. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's been through trauma would say, you know what, no, thank you, I'd rather not have had this happen. So, you know, you want to be very thoughtful about that, that it's not, it's not a kind of a minimizing, you shouldn't take as a therapist a minimizing stance and say, you know, oh, yeah, well, you know, you're going to grow from the experience. It's more just that when people go through therapy, what therapists have started to discover is that there is this thing that happens, and that, that is that people start to think about themselves differently. And so, um, uh, so one of the things that, ha- that happens is changes in identity. And so, for example, um, uh, there's a greater, there should be through trauma therapy, a greater sense of Mm self-determination. People often, when they've been through trauma, they feel that they have no no agency in the world, no ability to affect change. Um, If you're working with, for example, a rape survivor, you, you know, it would be helpful, it is helpful when they are able to do some assertiveness training work with you in therapy, and they feel they have a greater sense of agency. They have a greater sense of control over over their own safety. Um, you do this, you know, when you're working with people who have been through bad relationships, you know, traumatic relationships, and you help them find a way 
to feel like they have the license to slow a relationship down. They have the license mm-hmm. to say to say no or to say, I'm interested in sex, but at a certain pace. This is yes. what I'm comfortable with. And they can voice that interest. And so you see a greater sense of agency. And when people have that greater sense of you know agency or self-determination, whatever you want to call it, they feel more control. They feel a greater sense of a place in, in, you know, they feel a greater internal sense of control. So that's a, that's a positive thing that can come out of um, trauma therapy. Um, greater sense of dignity. So, you know, I often say to people, there's another piece of identity. I often say to people, you know, people say, do you think I should do this? Do I think I should do that? I ask, I say to them, think about your, what's, what is the dignified thing for you? Have you been acting in a way that you feel is dignified? And mm-hmm. if not, how can we make changes there? Um, so, Because feeling that you have a sense of, so often when people have been through trauma, again, they feel like, they feel kind of like they're a crappy person. I don't know how yeah. to say it nicer yeah. than that. That's, that's how they feel. They feel like, you know, I was treated like a doormat. I'm worth, you know, I'm worth nothing but being a doormat. That's what people often feel like. And so helping them refine a sense of dignity um, is, is really important. And then clarifying values is another piece of, of identity, helping them um, clarify the values that are important to them because very often they have values shoved on them. You know, this is, mm. you, know, uh, you know, you should be like this. You should be religious or you should be not religious or whatever. You should, you know, these are the values you should have. And rather than the what are the shoulds, thinking about what what's, what are my what are my internal values you know what do i actually feel and what's important to me from a value sense from a sense of what's what's right and wrong in the world and so not to say that you can change the world but you can help them clarify what their values are so they can live a little bit more in accordance with those values and again when people say well, what do you think i should do i'm like okay what are your values around this? Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually matter what my values are. I mean, I can tell you this or that, but it doesn't actually matter. What matters are what your values are. So those all help when you work, you know, those sort of three pieces, I find really help um, build a greater sense of a positive identity for people. And that's, I think, an important part of trauma work. And people find that they grow when, when, when you do that with them. Rob, yes, I especially like this part of your book because it's been my experience that we can easily get lost in the trauma and stay there potentially forever in the in the re-experiencing, the rehashing, and that the resulting disempowerment. And I, I just like so much where you talk about post-traumatic growth and moving beyond the trauma through integration and facing the reality. Yes, this was my past. What can I do now? Who would I like to become? And this identity piece, it's, it's a redevelopment of our identity through an empowerment process that is refreshing because that's what that's what allows us to feel happy for a trauma survivor to experience happiness and love and joy, knowing how to set those boundaries and move on the spectrum from avoidance to more security within themselves and in the world in their interpersonal relationships. Yeah, a hundred percent. Exactly. I mean, some of trauma work for sure is focusing on the past and we have to we have to understand and, and, and deal with and, and, and face the past in order to be able to move forward. Um, but you also, you know, when you're doing trauma work, 
you don't want to lose sight of the person's present, uh, sorry, present and future. And where do they see themselves heading? And that's a piece of the work as well. You can really start doing this. I mean, I think you do need to do a lot of safety work. So um, for your listeners, they should be aware that the the, um, identity chapter is the last chapter. So, you know, safety is earlier on, remembrance and mourning and, and talking about the experience. And then as, you know, if you're doing therapy with folks like this, as you're really moving along in the process, starting to do work around their, around their identity is, is really um, enriching and, and really helps move, give the therapy some, um, some really nice uh, um, other elements to it. I, and, you know, I, I like as well your vulnerability where you shared about your parents are Holocaust survivors and that you grew up with that as kind of a background and a backdrop. And I wonder if you went to speak any any of that because you talk about it in your book very, very openly. Yeah. How they yeah, lost yeah. their childhoods and that effect upon you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so. Um, as, as you mentioned, my parents were children during the Holocaust, which is a very unique experience. They they didn't go to concentration camps because they were little kids. Their parents, um, well, my, my dad's um, dad was taken away and then, and then yes. his mom, um, uh, um, I won't go into the details. My mom's parents were, were in hiding. Um, but as kids, my mom and my, my dad, both separate, uh, 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 you know, their families, what they decided to do was to uh, to um, have all the kids be separated, and so both my parents were um, were were in hiding and didn't know when their parents were going to come back. And so you now it's, it's you know it's uh, a fascinating and and terribly dis- upsetting thing when I talked to them about this, but they felt so both my parents felt so abandoned in these situations not knowing where their families were, not knowing when they were going to come back. And it was so terrifying uh, for them um, um, to be with near strangers. Um, and that was their experience. And so that had a big impact on them and had a big impact on their approach to childhood. Um, they, they both struggled in many ways to be able to parent when, when me and my, my um, uh, brothers were younger. They really had a lot of difficulty. They they didn't know. Neither of them really knew how to be playful, vulnerable. They, they struggled with with that. Yeah. And and in time, I mean, it's interesting to see them now as as they're, they're both elderly, you know, quite elderly, and they've they've um, they've changed a lot. I mean, it's been a lot of time, but still, there is that fundamental fear of abandonment that's there. That's mm. had an impact on on me growing up, and and kind of what what they were like as parents, and and um, how you know kind of the my sense of sometimes feeling like um, like they were unavailable psychologically, like they just yes. couldn't go to a vulnerable place. And I often wondered, you know, I, I, would, I would see TV shows, I don't know, the Brady Bunch or whatever, <laughs> you know, the courtship of Eddie's father, these fathers who were so. Um, you know, available, and, and and my dad just didn't know how to do that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so so yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I for sure feel that that's had a, a in, indirectly, but but definitely had an impact on my life. Yeah. Thank you for sharing about that. I'm happy to. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I want to give listeners before we end on Twitter, you can be found at Trauma Report on Facebook at Trauma and the Struggle to Open Up. And how, how else can listeners reach you if they wanted more information uh, and such? For sure. Um, so uh, I have a blog with Psychology Today called Talking About Trauma. So that's one way. The other thing is, if they just Google my full name, Robert T. Muller, psychologist, or Dr. Robert T. Muller, M-U-L-L-E-R, um, and go to my Amazon author page, I have um, a, a bunch of different links there and, and information um, and, and resources as well. And, and my books are up there as well. So those are some ways to reach me. Um, I can also be emailed. I don't mind that. I'm, I'm a university professor, and um, that's um, publicly available. So that's rmuller at yorku.ca. So that, that I don't mind being asked questions by email. Um, so those are some ways to reach me. Thank you. I, I really appreciate your time today with us and your work. It just got me you know, passionate again about trauma therapy. And I learned there were some things that were confirmed and there was some new knowledge that I'm able to embrace and move forward with. So thank you. Thank you, Lisa. You're welcome. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. You too. Thanks. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That concludes my show today with Dr. Robert T. Muller of York University, clinical psychologist and blogger on psychologytoday.com. Talking about trauma is his blog. I want to thank you all for joining me today, and I look forward to being with you next Thursday. NolaTherapy.com on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, NolaTherapy.com for us to meet and work together. All my love to you. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only.